This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. The perfect storm of food insecurity is brewing, and it looks as though it will create the fourth wave of COVID-19's pandemic that will wash over our entire Food Bank Council of Michigan network. When the state of emergency was declared and our schools, senior centers, and places of businesses closed, our network of seven Feeding America food banks experienced three waves of people coming to us for help in feeding their families. The first wave was the innocent, the children, especially the students who found their school year cut short and difficult access to their traditional breakfast and lunch meals served at school. The second wave was the vulnerable, our senior citizens who saw their senior centers close and a life-threatening situation holding them captive inside their homes and residences, each calculating the odds of risk if they should go to the grocery store or not. The third wave was the unexpected, those who never expected to be in a circumstance where they needed emergency food. The employees of small businesses, contract workers, and our service industry friends from our favorite restaurants and watering holes. Now months into the wrestling with the grip of the pandemic that continues to limit our lives, we sense a fourth wave coming The components of the food insecurity perfect storm that threaten us are just like the wind, water, lightning, and temperature inside of a hurricane, tornado, typhoon, or other natural disaster. Our perfect storm may be both natural and man-made, the worst kind of storm. The fourth wave of people are called the indefinite. And they are those left with us to struggle with food insecurity in their homes that although many businesses are reopening, we are not fully operational. And although school bells are beginning to ring, students are not in their classroom. Boarding buses are standing in the line for breakfast or lunch. Seniors still making the same calculation to risk a trip to the grocery store or do I make do with what I have. While many are moving on back towards normalcy, there are those that are with us struggling with food security for an indefinite time. The perfect storm of food insecurity is our topic today and our resident thought leader Jerry Brisson joins me next here on Food First Michigan to discuss both the components of the storm and how we can weather it. You come back and be with us. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. And Jerry, uh, nice to see you on the Zoom call. I don't think we've seen each other in five months. <laughs> Not you, sitting next to each other, you know. No, I mean, we've done this, you know, yeah. but we haven't 
been in the studio together. We haven't been in meetings together. Well, I mean, we've been together, but not together. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I will say this. Um, what an adjustment it's been for all of us to be doing so much more on Zoom calls than in person. But But I will say this, too. Uh, amazingly effective in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, I'm getting used to seeing you on the screen. It, it is always good to see you. I do feel like our work moves forward and our relationship moves forward. And, uh, you know, I'm getting you in less trouble this way, I'm sure. Well, that's probably true. But, you know, what, I'm, what I am thinking about is last Wednesday, I got up, got dressed, uh, got my computer, my bag, jumped in my truck and and started driving to Lansing to go so I could work in my office. And I thought, geez, man, this is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to say what your staff thought. That's a whole different well, conversation. None of them were there, so <laughs> it was just me. Um, but I wanted to do it because I, I, I wanted to be in our office because there a lot of great things happen in that place, in that space. But... Man, to get dressed and drive an hour to work and all of that was, I was like, geez, this is a waste of time. I just yeah. do this every day. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I well, think we're all going to make those adjustments, right? I mean, that's a yeah. that's another thing happening down the pipe that's not related necessarily to the fourth wave and the perfect storm, but it is part of our life and all the things we're going to be dealing with, right? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great segue because uh, lots of things have changed and we've changed. We've adapted. You guys that lead these food banks across the state of Michigan have have developed new ways of distribution that keeps both your teams safe as well as the folks who uh, are in need. And I think you should all be commended for that. And I, every chance I get, I... I, I tell everyone that you're frontline heroes, you and your teams, and uh, I believe that, and I'll, I'll keep sounding that trumpet as long as I can. Well, hot off the presses, I just got today the results of uh, evaluation that we did of the summer programming. We wanted to ask people coming to get the food at these mobile distributions, was it enough food? Was it working for them? Was it the right variety? Were they able to use the food? And it was overwhelmingly positive that people really felt cared for they felt mm. like they were kept safe they felt like the food was amazing we also learned on average people came twice a month that's okay. uh, like over 80 percent of the people who needed food needed food twice a month and that's you know atypical uh, most most of the year people are getting food once a month but this is how the pandemic affects people people who are mm -hmm. already struggling to make ends meet struggled even more and uh, and had to come twice. Well, nice that we could be there for them. A lot of them, 80% of the households had children, Huh. right? So, I mean, again, we knew we were seeing a lot of kids and we tally these things every day, but, but you know, when, when you've got kids and you're not working and you're trying to make ends meet, uh, even more important to us that we make sure those families are food secure. We take hunger off the table. And it's been, it's been our motto. It, and, and again, nice to see the formal evaluation process come back and have it be overwhelmingly what we expected, which was people needed the food, they got the food, and they were happy with what they got. You know, Jerry, it's pretty cool, too, that um, you guys have really 
built the infrastructure to support this work as you've grown, uh, you know, to, to meet the need. I've said on the show before that prior to COVID, our average weekly, weekly average of distribution of emergency food was 2.6. Now, since COVID, we're averaging 4.5. But last week, our network topped 5 million pounds distributed uh, just in that one week. And re we're really not talking about a week. We're really talking about either five or six days um, of yeah. distribution. So it's pretty amazing to me what uh, our network is doing to grow in order to meet the need um, and, and, and do that in a responsible way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's going to be more and more and more learnings as this thing goes out further and further. You know, when we started way back in March, I mean, nobody knew if this was going to be a two-month thing or what. You know, I mean, nobody really knew. Well, now, you know, it's it's almost September or, you know, I mean, we're we're right on the cusp of September and here we are still at yeah. it. And so, you know, we're having a lot of conversations with our network about how is everybody doing? Are they taking care of themselves? I mean, we're taking care of the community. We also need to take care of ourselves and and what what else do people need to uh to continue to do what they're doing because as as you said in your monologue we have another wave coming we 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 never know how big exactly these waves are going to be but we do know that with a lot of schools being primarily virtual that a lot of the kids that would get meals while they're in school are going to not be getting those meals and schools are trying hard and i've seen some of the district's plans uh but it's a district by district responsibility every district is doing their own plan for how they're going to try to uh reach kids and families in the best way possible but but eat, no matter how they do it, we know there's going to be gaps. We know there's going to be gaps with young children. We know there's going to be gaps with people that can't make it to school if there's no school bus. I mean, you know, there's just going to be gaps that need to be filled. Well, how are we going to fill those gaps? Where are the resources going to come from to do it? And, uh, and you know, we're talking about, well, maybe we're going to see a 15% increase. Well, <laughs> that's not a small number. You're no. talking about, you know, another almost million pounds a month. Or, well, or, that's just gleaners. That's just gleaners. And we've yeah. got, you know, the rest of the network that's going to experience that as well. So, you know, combined, you're looking at probably two over two million pounds a month. I mean, and there you get to your your how much can you do in a week? We're doing five million pounds a week as a as a network. Are we going to is it going to be six million pounds a week? I mean, that's, you know, a lot of literally heavy lifting. Yeah, a lot of heavy lifting. Well, you st you started there describing an, an, uh, one component of the perfect storm. So let's let's see if we can walk through those, and then we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Um, so the perfect storm that we're seeing coming is is has several factors, just like wind and temperature and rain and lightning and all that so makes up a, a terrible perfect storm, so to speak. One of them is what you just mentioned, Jerry, which is we've been working under one federal program in order to feed children since schools closed, and then a, a, another program uh, for the summer feeding. And But now when the school bell rings, everybody goes back under what's called the National Lunch uh, national school lunch program and that's a little bit different for schools and it's really different for food banks 
Yeah, so the biggest change administratively is with those other programs that we've been using all summer, anybody can be a vendor. Anybody can contribute and, and apply to do the work. Um, you have to be a community sponsor, and there's some paperwork and things you have to fill out. But fundamentally, uh, food banks are allowed to participate in that process. The National School Lunch Program, the only people allowed to count those meals and get reimbursed are the schools themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest change. So if you're going to participate by getting... Um, food to those schools you can't be just a vendor to the state you have to be a vendor to the school well there's hundreds and hundreds of schools in gleaner service territory alone so right. when you when you when you look at the administrative burden that it creates to even do the same exact thing that you've been doing that's a pretty big hurdle right that's a pretty mm-hmm. big hurdle so that's one of the challenges is it's the 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 way that vendors can participate in the program then after that there's other administrative rules about how many meals kids kids can get at a time whether parents can come and get those meals for them and every school district then has to have the meals ready for the parents that are going to come well how do those schools know which parents are coming and which ones aren't even if parents sign up for the program you're going to have waste there's no question about it the schools are going to have to be prepared to serve as many families as they think will come well how do you manage all of that right so again it's a pretty big administrative burden those wasted meals are not only wasted uh government dollars but they're also meals not getting to the kids and families and so again you know by by changing to a system that has to work a certain way you're building a a pretty significant amount of waste and inefficiency back in that was rooted out over the summer so you know that's uh probably our biggest concern in all of this are the really young kids um that aren't in school yet but their brothers and sisters are so their brothers and sisters who were able to benefit somewhat from the groceries that we were distributing all summer won't be able to benefit from the meals that the families are going to be able to pick up only for the kids that are enrolled in that school. So what are those little kids going to do? I mean, that's our yeah. biggest concern. So, yeah, it's all a concern, and it's a concern to Senator Stabenow, who held a press conference with Superintendent Rice just uh, recently to ask for the waivers that allowed us to participate in these other programs to make sure that that uh, families were food secure during COVID, uh, that they would continue. But uh, right now, Secretary Purdue, the Secretary of Agriculture for the USDA, is declining to do that and um, and citing uh, you know not enough funding from Congress in order for these waivers to be able to continue. So that conversation's happening at that level. Certainly, another element of the storm, if you will. But you know, generally speaking, USDA programs um, have been a really solid foundation for us. Our distribution of emergency food. In fact, Jerry, um, just recent uh, calculations we've been able to do helped us understand 
that approximately 30% of all the emergency food we're distributing is coming to our network from USDA. And the bad news is a lot of these programs are ending between now and the end of the calendar year. Well, and therein lies the next part of this perfect storm. Right, exactly. I mean, is well, I, maybe we should just pick that up on the other side of the break because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. And, uh, you know, it, you're, it, it, if you're nothing else, you're intense. So <laughs> he's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're talking about the perfect storm of food insecurity that's we believe is coming to Michigan. And one part is kids are uh, in class, but they're not in school, Jerry, for a large part of the state. And also, uh, as we mentioned before the break, Several of the foundational programs uh, that give us a lot of high-quality food to distribute, um, those programs are ending by the calendar year. Yeah, and it's really unclear where the funding is going to come from if those programs are going to continue. Now, I think one of the most important framings of this part of it is that the money that the USDA spends for this food is what's helping our farmers, right? Fundamentally, mm-hmm. the, the reason why the USDA gets involved in a lot of these direct food programs is when our farmers struggle, the whole country struggles. We need a strong farming community. Um, and, and obviously, we all have to eat. We, we depend on those farmers being healthy. Uh, we depend on their businesses being healthy. And in order for those businesses to be healthy, they have to have a certain amount of business. So without getting into all the ins and outs of how it helps the farmers, the genesis of the USDA food programs really goes back to the farming community and making sure that it's strong and healthy. So Food banks benefit from that, and the community benefits from that in several ways. The The obvious track is the USDA buys the food from growers. That food comes to the food banks, who then distribute the food to people who are food insecure and hungry. That's the a pretty simple, straightforward way that that works, and there's several different programs that operate identically. Now, here's the rub. In 2018, the combined amount of uh, pounds of food that that would be for gleaners, just one food bank a month was about 300,000 pounds a month. That's what we would get from all those programs combined. Then we had the trade war. And so in order to help the farmers during the trade war, where there was a lot of tariffs being put on American farm products, the government said, we're going to do a program called trade mitigation. And that upped the amount of food that was bought from farms. And again, just coming to gleaners, it went from 300,000 to over a million pounds of food a month that we could then distribute to families in need. And that was hugely helpful and good. 
Then we had the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit in March, there were several things that the USDA did right away, but it it unlocked a bunch of food. The biggest of those programs was the Farm to Families program. Mm -hmm. And for us, for gleaners, that brought the total amount of USDA pounds of food to 3.2 million pounds a month. So now it still costs money to distribute it. It still costs money to truck it around and do all the things that have to be done with it. So, but that was a huge amount of assistance to the food banks to get that food in and get it out during the pandemic. But the need grew with all that food distribution, which is why sure. we're at the numbers that you were talking about before, doctor. We more right. and more people needed help. And so that food was there and we were there and we could marry that all together. Well, here's what's happening with the food now. All of that goes away except that first 300,000 pounds a month which will stay. So we're going to go from 3.2 million pounds, this is just gleaners now, to 300,000 pounds a month if nothing else changes. And guess what? The need is not going down. In fact, we think the need might go up. In fact, we think it's going to go up maybe even 15% per month. Right. Based on what we're seeing now in unemployment in the school, the stuff happening in schools and what another round of the pandemic might mean, should the spread, you know, grow because of people in more contact with each other. So all that to say, that is a that is a huge looming cliff for us that we're going, okay, well, what are we going to do? It's a problem we can't just buy ourselves out of. We are going to have to, and we are thinking about, all right, well, how are we going to make up for that tremendous monthly loss of resources? Well, it's, it's, it is a, a tremendous loss of resources. And a um, couple of thoughts from your, um, from your sharing there. One is, uh, you know, here at Food First Michigan, we're, we're right on top of the news. And um, just in the uh, day before the uh, recording of this show, uh, there was an announcement from the president that said he was going to um, uh, put $1 billion toward the CFAP Farm to Families program. Now, I'm not sure quite where that money's coming from. I I have a, you know, I, I like to think I have a little slush fund here at my house, but I don't think I can move a billion dollars around at, <laughs> at you know, the, just when I want to. But at any rate, it's, that's, that's what's, that's what's coming. Um, and in addition to that, um, the other, another part of the perfect storm is you talking about the, the decrease of commodities in order for us to be able to distribute uh, at our emergency food distribution, but also the, the federal uh, unemployment uh, ended in July, Jerry, and now has been, re, has been renewed, but only at half the amount that it was previously. So it was $600 coming back at three. But the other side of that is folks who've been on state unemployment are allotted 20 weeks a year out of that. And many of them, if you start thinking about into March and April, are coming up uh, on those types of deadlines. So with all of those diminishing resources, that's why we think even a 15% increase of need 
would be very, very difficult for us to manage with all the diminishing programs. Hence is why we call it the perfect storm of food insecurity here in Michigan. Well, and you know, one of the things that makes me proud about working for the food bank and and for being in this work for a long time is we aren't the sky is falling type people. I mean, we're pretty pragmatic. We're we're logistics people and and we're, you know, and we're connected to farmers and no one's more pragmatic than a farmer. Everybody knows that. So, you know, we just look at the facts and we just say, "Hey, we want everyone to know what's happening." We don't want anyone to get caught by surprise and say, why didn't anybody tell us? We're telling you. We've <laughs> got to get our ducks in a row when it comes to how are we going to make sure we serve the community well. And I think part of the reason the panic in the community hasn't been worse than what it has been is because people can get the food they need. I mean, it is such an important service. It's such a big stress relief to people who aren't sure what's going to happen. And you add to that, you know, most people now either know somebody or, or know somebody that knows somebody who has been been COVID positive and who's gone through some struggling. Many of the people that that we know in our lives have a loved one that has been affected and many have had someone that's passed. I mean, right. so that that's additional stress that um, that people are just dealing with day in, day out. You know, the fear of getting sick and then what happens if you get sick. I mean, that's that's just another another piece of the puzzle. So, you know, what we do is an important service. We do it at a really low cost and we want to keep doing it. And what we're saying is, let's make sure we resource this right so that we can keep the community well-fed and healthy. Well, the last ingredient of this perfect storm is, is that congressional legislation. And uh, at this point of this show, uh, there's not been uh, any movement on that really in the Senate. The House has passed the HEROES Act. The Senate has what it calls the HEALS Act, H-E-A-L-S. Uh, but right now there's no money in that Senate version for nutrition. So all of these ingredients that we've outlined here, the USDA programs, the, the switching to the national uh, lunch uh uh, school programs, the uh, loss of federal unemployment and, and uh, the federal legislation, uh, unemployment, uh, underemployment, all of these factors are, as we've said about this in the beginning of, of the pandemic, are magnified inside the pandemic. Uh, and those are things that describe a perfect storm for us. And uh, Jerry and I are going to come back and tell you how we're going to help weather that storm. You come back and be with us too. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Jerry, uh, ooh, the storm clouds are gathering, my friend. Um, but as you said, our first responsibility is to define reality. And we've done that on this show and why we think uh, the storm is gathering and uh and it is a perfect storm of food insecurity, diminishing, um, uh, what do you call, resources, and um, increasing need. So, um, so we're we're working at that. We're not just going to be about, uh, you know, uh, 
not spending 90% of our time defining the problem. We want to spend a good chunk of our time finding the solution. Yeah, and right. So, That's right. Yeah. Well, and of course, the first part of the solution is make sure people know what the problem is. And so, you know, we've defined reality and now we got to make sure people know what it is. And I know we're doing a lot of work there. We're, we're at the table with a lot of different influencers and just explaining this is what's happening and they're listening, right? So a lot of the work of Food First Michigan has been about getting all the people that, that, that need to be part of this conversation at the table in the conversation and that has been an, a very effective thing to do because those same people are now in places where they can listen and start to make a difference in terms of these programs and figure out what can be extended what would it take how do we do all of the all of the work um, with the legislature both in the state and and the federal legislature how do we make sure we're working with the administrations as well and and taking advantage of every opportunity that comes our way and I know doctor you spend an awful lot of your time with those people who are making those decisions and uh and i know that that has has produced some really good things for us well i i think so um and i would just have to say here as a as a plug for the newly formed food security council that governor whitmer has appointed that the timing could not be better um in fact our initial report to the governor is due the first week of November, and um, and this council, it, and the the subject, the topic of the report, this initial report, is all about the effects of COVID nineteen on food insecurity here in Michigan, and so a lot of what we're talking about here is not just it won't be just be about from March to today but it'll be about what we see going forward too. Um, and that's the value of this show, I think, is um, it really, at least for me and you, it disciplines us to really have to think about this on a, on a, on a, in a way that communicates, right? We don't I'm just sure that's exactly what our listeners are thinking. Those guys are dead. Discipline, man. I can't believe it. Oh, absolutely they are. You know, the other thing it does for us is, uh, you know, nobody wants to just talk about the problem. I mean, I don't. I want to talk about the solution. You know, it, it, anybody can be a problem spotter. I want to be a problem solver. So, you know, that's, that's it. And some of the resources that we're talking about, um, the state of uh, Michigan, the, the the governor's office, and the legislature have come together, and uh, they have appropriated uh, some money for the Food Bank Council to help address this coming need in the fall and into the winter months. Um, we're having continued conversations about some of that federal funding, and um, I'm just going to say that, you know, one of the things I love, being an Alabama boy that living in Michigan, is that um, when it comes to things like this, this state comes together. I mean, hunger, children to seniors, everyone in between, nobody wants to see that happen. Nobody's for that. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. Hunger, food security is a challenge we have in our society that unites us. 
it doesn't divide us. Yeah, and you know, another testament to that is is our National Guard is going to come back and and help us some more. Um, you know, I know that that was just approved again. Uh, and you know, for me, and I know I've said this before, but you know, my dad was a military man, ran a National Guard armory for most of my uh, upbringing, um, and uh, and I have such fond memories of the men and women who joined the Guard and and the service that they provide you know, to help the country in so many ways. And it's it's really a special thing to have them at our food banks at a time of great need. It's still hard to get volunteers. People still don't feel as safe as they want to leaving their homes. We understand why. Um, we do provide an incredibly safe environment at our food banks, but the National Guard helps a tremendous amount. Uh, as we try to execute these strategies to feed so many more people. You're right, Jerry. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Jerry and I are back. You come back and be with us. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this show. You know, I'm, I'm going to choose to have the belief that even though there are stark contrasts between this third coronavirus bill in the United States uh, Congress, between the House version and the Senate version, that they're going to reconcile that. I cannot believe that there's anyone who can endorse childhood hunger or seniors doing without. And I, I really think that that's going to happen. I think they're going to come alongside of us in this work because the danger is and the, the inappropriateness is that if they don't, this becomes charity's problem. And, and I think, as we've said on this show for a long time, there's a lot of big tools in the toolbox, and we're one of them, but we're not the only one. Well, we can't be, right? And so I think you're right, doctor. I think that as people understand the consequential nature of the issue, which I think they do, uh, I think they will act. I think that's right. And, and, and when they do, we'll be ready. And that's what we've shown, you know, throughout the pandemic and what we will continue to show is that, you know, we are going to be good partners to uh, people that care deeply about making sure that children and seniors and veterans and all the people that come to us who, who need assistance get the assistance that they need and really survive this pandemic. And I know one of the things that we've talked about on the show, but it's been a while, is a compromised immune system is one of the worst things you can have for a pandemic like this. And having enough to eat is a critical part of keeping immune systems where they need to be. So, you know, it's all also interrelated to each other if you don't want to see the overall cost of the problem rise you've got to manage maslow's basic needs right you've got to manage that at the level that it needs to be managed or everything is more expensive well you know again it, uh, things get magnified inside this cloud of the pandemic right i mean if that's true in blue skies my god it's so true here it's, yeah you know it's even it's even more true i guess uh if that's possible well thanks jerry i appreciate all your insights today you have a rich uh history in this work and your perspective is always illuminating for the rest of us well, doctor, it's always a pleasure working with you. You're a, you're a man doing tremendous things for the state right now, and we depend on you so much. 
Well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Time for a little food for thought. I have an app on my phone that gives me weather alerts. I have the places where my family and friends are listed, so I receive alerts and I can check on them. We had two storms churning in the Gulf of Mexico and made landfall, and you can bet that I've checked on my brother and sister who were in the path of danger and destruction. Friends, we cannot treat the coming storm of food insecurity like it's bad weather happening somewhere else, like it's irrelevant to our own existence. We need more than alerts. We need more than wishful thinking. We need the truth because it sets us free. And since that is true, then lies, ignorance, and apathy surely hold us in bondage. Let's break free and check on our neighbors who may be hungry, especially seniors and children. And let's all commit to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.